are listening to the podcast of the White Church at the Elk River YMCA in Minnesota. Our mission is to seek Jesus, connect together, and share his love. The Lord will be Israel's shepherd. The word of the Lord came to me. Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, this is what the sovereign Lord says. Woe to you shepherds of Israel who only take care of yourselves. Should not shepherds take care of the flock? You eat the curds, clothe yourself with the wool, and slaughter the choice animals, but you do not take care of the flock. You have not strengthened the weak or healed the sick or bound up the injured. You have not brought back the strays or searched for the lost. You have ruled them harshly and brutally. So they were scattered because there was no shepherd. And when they were scattered, they became food for all the wild animals. My sheep wandered over all the mountains and on every high hill. They were scattered over the whole earth, and no one searched or looked for them. Therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. As surely as I live, declares the sovereign Lord, because my flock lacks a shepherd and so has been plundered and become food for all the wild animals, and because my shepherds did not search for my flock but cared for themselves rather than my flock. Therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the sovereign Lord says. I am against the shepherds and will hold them accountable for my flock. I will remove them from tending the flock so that the shepherds can no longer feed themselves. I will rescue my flock from their mouths and it will no longer be food for them. For this is what the sovereign Lord says. I myself will search for my sheep and look after them. As a shepherd looks after his scattered flock when he is with them, so I will look after my sheep. I will rescue them from all the places where they were scattered on a day of clouds and darkness. I will bring them out from the nations and gather them from the countries, and I will bring them into their own land. I will pasture them on the mountains of Israel, in the ravines and in all the settlements in the land. I will tend them in a good pasture, and the mountain heights of Israel will be their grazing land. There they will lie down in good grazing land, and there they will feed in a rich pasture on the mountains of Israel." I myself will tend my sheep and have them lie down, declares the Sovereign Lord. I will search for the lost and bring back the strays. I will bind up the injured and strengthen the weak. But the sleek and the strong I will destroy. I will shepherd the flock with justice. Thanks, Carol. We have been learning these early days of the new year how it is that God strengthens us. 
And so you made your way through the white and drifty snow here this morning. And you may also feel tired, some of you weary, confused, sick, physically sick, or in just in need of some encouragement. And so we're asking ourselves the question these days, how is it that God will strengthen us? And we're asking this question through the lens of Ezekiel, this Old Testament book of the Bible that is as a whole, a bit hard to understand. And yet I hope now three weeks in, even in just hearing this scripture this morning, that you sense we're finding some clarity. God's word does not remain a mystery. That's not its intent. It is not meant to be incomprehensible or hard to figure out. But God invites us to listen, to study this together, and to ask for help in understanding. And so even a difficult book like Ezekiel can have a clear word for us And that's what we come to hear today, a clear word so that we may be strengthened. How does God strengthen us? Three weeks in, we've got a little list going now. We saw in our first week that he strengthens us through the Holy Spirit, and he strengthens us through his word. Eat this book, we read in the opening chapters. Then last week, we saw that he strengthens us through repentance, That is, when we turn away from sin and we come back to the good way that God invites us on with him. Now this week we're in Ezekiel 34, and we get to focus on really one of the most memorable pictures of God in the Bible, that of a shepherd. So the Holy Spirit, the Word, repentance, and his shepherding, all ways that he strengthens us. Today we're going to see that the Lord does not leave his sheep to suffer, but shepherds his people with perfect love and justice. And maybe you have wondered at a time in your life, or even now, where is my shepherd? Where is my shepherd? Why am I subject to this or that? Certainly the people of God were asking those questions in this book that we're reading. They're in exile in Babylon. Their home country had been invaded. Their capital city destroyed. The temple leveled to the ground. Where was their shepherd? When 10,000 of their leading citizens were marched 1,000 miles into exile, forced resettlement, where was the shepherd of this flock? What was the season of their life all about? And I'm sure some of you have asked that before, maybe many of us, saying to yourself, this is an unusual season of my life. I don't really like this chapter. When do we get to turn the page? When will the shepherd come and lead me to still waters? The Bible loves to use the metaphor of sheep and shepherd. I can't remember what the total number was, 100 some, 161 references like this in Scripture. But most of us, where we live and in our time, are not personally familiar with the work of a shepherd. It's not our context. It's not our background. But for the folks of the ancient Near East, that was different. They knew shepherding like you and I know shoveling and tater tot hot dish, an op or an ufta. That was their world. And so this was very natural for them to think about. Sheep and shepherds were everywhere. Now, I don't know shepherding either, but... I do actually know a shepherd, a real, live shepherd. His name is Klopp. Many of you know that my wife is an immigrant from Germany, and she comes from a farming village of about 250 people. 
And most summers we get to go back and see them and spend some time. The sheep that her grandfather owned and shepherded when he was alive are still on her parents' property, now under the shepherding hand of another villager, Mr. Klopp, or if you know German, Herr Klopp. And Herr Klopp lives toward the center of the village by himself. His wife died many years ago, and he has remained a very capable bachelor ever since. He has perhaps the most well-maintained garden in the entire village. And in a farming village, that's saying a lot because everybody has a garden. The entire front side of his house is decorated in all kinds of colors of roses that he meticulously trims and tends all summer long. But Herr Klopp has something that needs even more tending than his garden, and that is his sheep. So every morning he hops on his little moped. It's not a long walk. I just think he likes riding the moped. He hops on his moped and he drives up to Esther's parents' property where the sheep have their pen and pasture. And he drives this little moped with his sheepdog on board and always gripping a cigar between his teeth, even if it is at 8 o'clock in the morning. Every time I see Herr Klopp, except when he is swimming in the local pool, he has a cigar in his mouth. He is a stocky man. His face and hands are weathered by working all of his life outside. His teeth are stained and yellow with tobacco and coffee. He wears a little Bavarian cap over his balding head, you know, the felt cap with a little feather that sticks up. And he has one of the thickest local dialects that I have ever heard. In fact, my German nieces and nephews who live in the village actually talk about how difficult it is to understand him. But you know who understands him perfectly fine? His sheep. If I approach the sheep when we're there on a trip visiting Esther's parents, if I approach the sheep, they take off to the other side of the pasture, buying over their shoulder at me. But if Herr Klopp shows up, all he has to do is give his little call and whistle and the sheep come running to meet him even before they can see him. They know their shepherd and the shepherd knows his sheep. This was the world of the Israelites. For generations or for centuries and centuries they'd been a shepherding people. Do you know who the first shepherd is noted in the Bible? Abel. Second generation of the Bible. The son of Adam and Eve was a shepherd. And then some of the most important figures in the Old Testament are all known for being shepherds. Abraham, Isaac, Moses, David, all of them shepherds. And so the word shepherd came to be used as a metaphor for leadership. To shepherd was to lead, to be in charge of a flock, to be responsible for people. And that is the sense in which Ezekiel uses the word shepherd in the opening indictment of this chapter. We see in this chapter a kind of miniature model of what you see across 48 chapters of Ezekiel. And that is, you see very clearly in 16 verses that Carol read for us, this movement from judgment to hope. Death to life. Poor shepherding to the shepherding of God. And so I've divvied up our passage into three sections. And the first subject is the condition of the sheep. Now I invite you to follow along in those blue Bibles or whatever you have there in front of you. 
The opening six verses are a description of how the sheep are doing, but also the poor shepherding that has led to their condition. Verse 1. The word of the Lord came to me, Son of man, prophesy. That simply means tell the truth, speak the truth against the shepherds of Israel. Now at first blush, we might think that the shepherds of Israel must be priests. Because that's how we, in our context, often use the word shepherd to describe the work of a pastor. But Ezekiel's meaning is broader, like we just talked about. He is talking about leaders in general. So he's talking about the kings of Judah, the political leaders, and yes, also the priests and religious leaders. Any of those shepherds who have stood by as Israel has spiraled into chaos, morally, politically, and spiritually. Their leadership, the leadership of this land is what's in view. And here comes the charge in verse 2. This is what the Sovereign Lord says. Woe to you, shepherds of Israel, who only take care of yourselves. Have some of you ever had to serve with a leader whose priority was taking care of themselves? A boss A team captain, if you're a student athlete. A supervisor. It's a terrible spot to be in. Those of you who have been there, you know. It is not sustainable. Either you are going to have to leave that job or that supervisor is going to be let go by the people he reports to or she reports to. Ezekiel expands on the problem in verse 3. He says, you eat the curds. Literally, it's milk. You eat the sheep's milk. Clothe yourselves with the wool and slaughter the choice animals, but you do not take care of the flock. In other words, you only take from the flock, you don't take care of the flock. You know the expression, to fleece the flock. That's where we get it. There's a wonderful little book I keep borrowing off uh, my wife's bookshelf. We have him and hers bookshelves at our house. It's a great little book called A Shepherd Looks at Psalm 23. Published in 1970 by a real-life shepherd based on his experiences shepherding sheep. Philip Keller is his name. And he writes about the neighbor's sheep who lived next to his first ranch. And I want to share this with you this morning. He says, My neighbor's sheep would stand huddled at the fence, facing the rich fields in which my flock flourished. These poor, abused, neglected creatures, under the ownership of a heartless rancher, had known nothing but suffering. They were thin and sickly with disease and scab and parasites. Tormented by flies and attacked by predators, some were so weak that their thin legs could scarcely bear their scanty frames. Can you picture those sheep huddled against the fence? They need a shepherd. Verse 4, if you follow along with me. You have not strengthened the weak or healed the sick or bound up the injured. You have not brought back the strays or searched for the lost. You have ruled them harshly and brutally. Have some of you experienced reverse mentoring before? It's not the best way to learn, but it is when you learn what not to do by somebody else's example. A leader who only takes care of himself, someone who rules at work or in the classroom brutally or harshly is not the kind of leader that you want to be. 
There was an example recently in the news that I want to share with you today. A gifted entrepreneur who crashed out of leadership. Her name is Elizabeth Holmes. And she was heralded as the next Steve Jobs. She dropped out of Stanford at 19 and she founded the company called Theranos. And the idea was needleless blood testing. She became, with Theranos, the world's youngest self-made female billionaire. 2014-15, Theranos was valued at $9 billion. But the tech was faulty. And she knew it. She covered it up. She covered it up again and again. But this year, just a few weeks ago, she was convicted of massive fraud, four federal counts, and Theranos was completely shut down. A brilliant mind, all the ambition in the world, but a poor leader. And guess where it all started? Students, guess where it all started? Leadership lessons are not just reserved for grown-ups, are they? The first hints of trouble for Elizabeth Holmes came when she was a kid playing board games. And she would make her younger siblings and cousins play Monopoly all the way to the end. Even if they wanted to be done. And she would relish buying up all of their houses and hotels. And if she were losing, she would storm off in a rage even charging through the screen door that was in her way. The kind of leader that you are in middle school matters. The kind of leader you are at your home with your family, that matters. Signs of poor leadership abound in these opening verses. And it results in the people of God, his sheep, being scattered across the earth, it says, which is a reference to the exile. Verse 6. My sheep wandered over all the mountains and on every high hill. They were scattered over the whole earth and no one searched or looked for them until God. The time had run out for these self-serving shepherds. Their negligence had not gone unnoticed. God knows, he sees, and now the second section of the text, he responds. Number two, the response of God in verses 7 to 10. Verse 7, therefore you shepherds, and I don't know what Ezekiel's voice sounded like, and this of course would have been in Hebrew, but can you imagine now the tone changes, and he thunders out these words, therefore you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. As surely as I live, declares the sovereign Lord, in Hebrew that is Adonai Yahweh, the name of God. Because my flock lacks a shepherd and has so been plundered, because my shepherds did not search for my flock but cared for themselves. And you see whose flock this is? Emphasized again and again. It's my flock, God says. You don't own these sheep. It's not the flock of these shepherds. My flock, God says. In fact, even the shepherds are called my shepherds, meaning God's saying, you work for me. God allowed them to have this position in the first place. And there's another leadership lesson, isn't there? That all human authority is in the end delegated authority. Nebuchadnezzar, Alexander the Great, any of our U.S. presidents, 
Right now, someone could probably remind Vladimir Putin of this principle as he stations his troops on the Ukrainian border. All authority is delegated authority. And not just in the world of politics. That goes for the boss that you report to, the principal of your school, any position of leadership that you or I may hold. We don't have a single ounce of our own authority. It is given to us. Any influence, any responsibility, any leadership role that we have, it's because God has first given it to us. We are under shepherds, under the authority of God. And so that means that we're accountable to Him for how we lead. And you know if you've ever donned a uniform with a company name on it, think back to your first job and you put that name badge on and reported for work, any uniform of a government office, whatever it is that you do or have done, whether it is making lattes or making millions, you know that you don't just answer to yourself. And unless you're self-employed, most of us will have a supervisor to answer to or a board. You probably have regular performance reviews in the place that you serve. Among other things, in that review, your leadership will be assessed. Have you fulfilled your duties as a leader? For the shepherds of Israel, they received warning after warning, chance to correct, reminder, and now they will be removed from their post. Verse 10. This is what the sovereign Lord says. I am against the shepherds and will hold them accountable for my flock. I will remove them from tending the flock. A little later on, I will rescue my flock from their mouths. And you see here that my flock is not just a term of ownership, is it? But in these latter verses, it becomes crystal clear this is a term of endearment. And the under-shepherds have messed with the wrong sheep. They have messed with the sheep of the chief shepherd. In describing the staff of a shepherd and that line in Psalm 23, this is from this book. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Here's what Philip Keller says about that staff. He gives us this memorable picture observing other shepherds. He says, Sometimes a shepherd will actually hold his staff against the side of some individual sheep simply so that they are in touch. They'll walk along this way, he says, almost as if they were hand in hand. The sheep obviously enjoys this special attention from the shepherd and revels in the close personal contact between them. Do you know this morning that you have this kind of shepherd? A shepherd that will not stand idly by, but who comes to your rescue because he delights in you? Psalm 18. He rescues me because he delighted in me. used to read that to my infant daughters. God sees the condition of his sheep. And he responds. And with that we come to the third and final section of the passage. Just a, a few closing minutes. It's a description of the shepherding of God. Verses 11 to 16. 
Verse 11, we'll just read a bit of it. For this is what the sovereign Lord says. I myself will search for my sheep and look after them. As a shepherd looks after his scattered flock when he is with them, so will I look after my sheep. I will rescue them from all the places where they were scattered on a day of clouds and darkness. I'm reminded of uh, later in the Bible, this day on the Sea of Galilee, that was a day of clouds and darkness. Mark 6. The disciples were straining at the oars because the wind was against them. Jesus was on land. He'd gone up the mountainside to pray that night. But he could see the storm that enveloped their little boat. And so just before dawn, when it was still dark, he went out to them walking on the lake. And at first when they see him, they cry out. They're terrified because they think they're seeing a ghost. But Jesus says to them, Take courage, it is I. Don't be afraid. And then he climbed into their boat and the wind died down. Some of you have become familiar with days of clouds and darkness. Had a call this week from a dear one from our congregation processing a diagnosis. Some of you have made those phone calls and said, I just don't understand. Some of you are straining at the oars, wondering how long this will last, if your strength is going to give out. Some of you feel like the sheep who is huddled against the fence, stuck in a field that can neither feed you nor defend you. And today, as we have looked at Ezekiel 34, I just want to bring you this simple promise from the Word of God that the Sovereign Lord, Adonai Yahweh, sees you. He sees you. Not only that, but He clears away every counterfeit shepherd who has ever had charge over you And he says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He says to you, I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. And so I'm asking you this morning, if you know him. I don't mean if you call yourself a Christian. I'm asking if you know the shepherd. Are you ready to be shepherded by the one who loves you and gave his life for you? Are you ready for the shepherd who can come in and push back the clouds and darkness? Who gathers his sheep in his arms? Because he's here. The one who binds up the injured who strengthens the weak, who shepherds the flock with love and justice. And today, this shepherd has come near to you. And he's ready, reaching out his staff to draw you close 
that you might press against his side and feel the strength of his frame. So you can walk along sheep and shepherd in the joy of his presence. Let's pray together. Lord, here we are walking along. And no doubt, Lord, there are some among us who feel in this moment we are walking very much alone. We are maybe huddled against the fence. For whatever reason, Lord, you know the intimate details of our life, the circumstances presently around us. And so today, Lord, we take our cues from these sheep, from your word. There's not a whole lot, Lord, that we sheep can do but to hear your voice and to respond, to come running. And I pray, Lord, that you would so tenderly shepherd each one of these dear ones who's here this morning all those who might be at home, some who are sick at home, watching, listening. Lord, they're not alone. But you have come in your grace and your mercy and your power and invited us in. Lord, would you strengthen us for this new week ahead of us? Any of the daunting tasks that are before us, may they come under your rule and authority. We trust you. And we pray in the name of Jesus, the Good Shepherd. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Y Church Podcast. For more information about the Y Church, check us out online at thewychurch.org.